This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam and I'm your host and here to help take our leadership to the next level by looking at leaders in history is Dr. Richard Blackaby. Well, good to be with you once again, Sam. And uh, great talking about uh, history and leadership. Yeah, it's two of your favorite topics combined <laughs> and uh, and it's just uh, it's your your favorite thing to talk about, oh, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, you know, besides your your favorite son-in-law, but yeah, well, uh, I do talk about him, but <laughs> that, that's a that's a different sort of yeah, way. It's, it's a, <laughs> maybe not the same glowing uh, reverence I have for some of the founding fathers, but well, you just need more time to pass. <laughs> yeah. is, is really what it comes down. And to. And you do have a plantation too. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's we've got we've got some gardens and some animals to to attend to that. Uh, seem to take up all my free time <laughs> for sure. Well, we're uh, we're looking at uh, the leadership of of the founding fathers of uh, the United States, and uh, just uh, the fact that it's it's messy. And uh, again, you've uh, you've toured these estates of of many of the the founding fathers, and we just thought we'd take some time to dive into some of these. And uh, today, we're we're looking at what it means to sort of symbolize. Uh, to, to be a leader that that is a uh, a symbol, um, and and not not just uh, just a person, but uh, that represents the organization you lead, and, and we're looking at that symbol uh, through the life of Lincoln. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of leadership theory that just says a leader has got to be the number one representative of whatever you lead. If you're the pastor of a church you represent that church. And so yeah. if you act in a slovenly, careless, abrasive way, um, you're going to, of course, damage the reputation of your church. If you're getting into all kinds of conflicts or moral issues, um, then that, that carries uh, a, a negative impact. And, and uh, if, you, if you're the president of a country or you are the CEO of an organization or you lead a department, uh, whatever it is, whatever you lead, um, you are going to become a symbol for it. And some, some are, of people are not very good symbols, and sometimes they don't reflect very well the organization. Uh, and then others embody it uh, and symbolize it, and ever afterward they're kind of connected to that. And, and I think in some ways Lincoln is that way. Um, he has become very much a symbol of what America became. The, and, there, and there's a number of reasons why I think that he has become so influential. And we talked about this uh, in a recent podcast that uh, Lincoln and Washington usually are the two that vie the most uh, fervently for being the considered the greatest U.S. presidents of all time. Yeah, uh, Washington, of course, is the precedent set setter, and no one has ever had that job before. He's got to think it through and do things in a way that can be duplicated for hundreds of years afterward. But uh, Lincoln is the one who ultimately... Uh, takes on the nation's single greatest problem that it's ever had. And he leads during the single greatest conflict uh, of the Civil War, uh, the, the most difficult thing that uh, the United States probably ever faces, and, it, and he handles those. And so, uh, but he does so in a way that uh, to this day, I think he is revered uh, by many because of the way he did it, the way he conducted himself. Yeah. And uh uh, because certainly that could have been a, a time, and there were many leaders that disc discredited themselves throughout the course of uh, 
that conflict and that uh, debate beca- because of how they, they how they acted. But uh, there's just several things I would just say about uh, Lincoln. I, and just for our, our listeners, um, when I was looking at going to the D.C. area with my wife, um, I was kind of looking at various things we could do. And, and we've been there before. and We've been to the White House and toured the Pentagon and other things. And so we're trying to find some things we hadn't seen or done before. And one of those was to go to Ford's Theater, which I'd, I... Uh, I, I guess at one point, I guess I'd heard about it, but I didn't know much about it. But uh, Ford's Theater is, uh, is just a couple of blocks. You can walk there from the White House. Uh, and it was quite interesting because we we'd kind of drove down the street, just kind of sides up next to the White House in that area. Uh, and then we turn uh, off uh, from, from there and go just a couple of blocks. And I was just this is like in the middle of the morning. I think our it's like ten, ten fifteen, ten thirty in the morning, and you, you just go like about two blocks away from the White House, and hardly any traffic at all. I mean, you're just very quiet. And uh, and there was a little bakery, coffee shop, uh, just right by the Ford Theater. We had to wait a few minutes to get in, so. Uh, we went over and had coffee, and I mean, there's just there's just nobody out in the streets. It's just mm. tranquil. It was funny. Um, but, uh, apparently w- when he was shot there, uh, one of his best friends, uh, in the cabinet, Stanton, uh, just basically, uh, shut the Ford theater down. He thought it'd be disrespectful to have any more shows there after what had happened there. And so for over a hundred years, uh, it was, it became like a government office building and they mm. converted it and d- didn't have any shows there. And, um, and they just, they had offices and filing cabinets and just it was just a, a, a bureaucracy office and uh and then and i think around the 60s or so 1960s um they decided to kind of refurbish it and and uh now 100 years or more had passed and they were ready to let people come back and be reminded of what happened there and so they kind of refurbished it and so you I, I'm, I'm sure uh, they had to do a lot of uh, repairs and things, and it's not necessarily all the original uh, furniture or things in there now. But but they basically have the the the, the uh, box seat where he was Lincoln was sitting when he was shot, and the door leading to the booth came, went through, and um, and so you they have a great little presentation of describing what happened and step by step and. Uh, uh, the whole story. There's a, a really fascinating uh, kind of museum down below. They've got the gun that Booth used to kill Lincoln there on display and uh, mm. just a number of things that are quite interesting. And then when he was shot, uh, they, 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 they knew he was mortally wounded. Uh, but at that day, the, the cobblestone kind of streets were so rough that they just couldn't imagine uh, Lincoln surviving, even though it was only about three block ride back to the White House. And so they, but right across the street was a boarding house uh, called the Peterson Boarding House. And so they just carried him across the street, laid him down in the bed there, and that's where he would die the next morning. Hmm. And so they still have the bed that he died in, in the room he died in, and, and they have created a bit of a museum there. And so quite interesting and there's almost no traffic going down that street it's just it's just like it's very quiet around there but 
Um, so anyway, I, I was just there last week and thinking about um, what he did and why, uh, why he's become such a, um, a symbol. And, and I think there's a number of reasons, because sometimes, uh, you know, and of course in the past, uh, you might have uh, like a king that of course represented his kingdom, his, his nation, but sometimes it would be hard, you'd be hard pressed to say, well, the king represents the people because the people were all poor peasants and he lived in a palace. No, yeah. no one else lived in a palace. No one else had his kind of wealth. Um, but because he was the king, he, he represented the, the land, the people. And then there's some uh, people that you look at and they make better symbols of of the people that they lead. And I think Lincoln is certainly one of those kind of people. Of course, he was not a, he was not a slave, but, but, uh, he, he also was, um, uh, he was not a slave owner. He had grown up in the North, uh, and, uh, and he, and he had suffered a great deal. And I think sometimes people that have, you know, there oftentimes in, uh, world history, uh, it's an aristocrat, it's a noble, it's a king that's had really a pretty soft life compared to the average person. They, they're well-fed, well-clothed, uh, they live in a nice place, and yet they speak on behalf of all the people. And then you got people like Lincoln that, in a sense, his father treated him like, like a slave. And I don't want to minimize what it meant to really be a slave, but, yeah. uh, but his dad worked uh, Lincoln to death. He actually farmed his son out. He, he'd go to farmers and rent out his son like he was renting a mule to people and say, he'll chop wood on your property all day long. Uh, you, you pay me this much money. So the father would pocket the, the money and his son would work uh, all day long. And, and as you can imagine, uh, that didn't lead to the closest relationship between yeah. Lincoln and his father. No kidding. Uh, Lincoln didn't even invite his father uh, to his wedding. Uh, and just uh, felt as if he'd been treated like a slave uh, of his father, uh, just only valued for the hard work that he could do and the strong back that he had. And so he, uh, Lincoln had a lot of issues uh, with his, the way he was raised by his parents, uh, very hardworking person, uh, self-educated. His parents certainly didn't spend money on his education. Um, and needing to forgive uh, people that had treated him like a country rube. That's kind of how he was perceived. Now, he was a brilliant man, and he obviously was very bright, but, um, but uneducated, uh, self-taught, uh, so kind of rough-hewn uh, kind of person. And one of the interesting um, uh, stories early on is uh, Stanton was uh, one of the big-time lawyers at the time, and uh, there was a big case, and for some reason, because of where the case had happened, it was kind of near where Lincoln lived. They had the the, the law firm. This was a really big case. They decided to uh, enlist Lincoln as kind of a, a resource. He wasn't going to be the guy that argued the case necessarily, but because he kind of knew the area, they thought, well, let's retain him as well. So he's thrilled. Lincoln's thrilled that he can just work with these high powered attorneys from a big law firm. And he really just wants to learn and just watch what they do. But Stanton, it comes in, he's with this high priced attorney and another high priced attorney is there. And, uh, Lincoln kind of is just all excited. Like, and he just wants to serve just like, Hey, what can I, if you need me to do research or, 
look stuff up or run errands or go get you lunch. Just, you know, let me know what I can do. And this Stanton apparently sees Lincoln, this kind of country rube, and says to his friend, loud enough for Lincoln to hear, who is that long-armed ape? <laughs> uh, and Lincoln hears this, and he's kind of devastated. He's just there to help. He's called an, an, a gangly-looking ape, is what he's called, basically, hmm. uh, by this high-priced guy. Uh, but Lincoln, to his credit, uh, is a humble guy, and he takes it, and instead of going off in a huff and feeling sorry for himself, he continues to watch and observe and uh, do what he can to be of use. Uh, interestingly, several years later, Lincoln's the president of the United States, and uh, he, is, he needs someone to be his secretary of war during the Civil War when that, that job is going to be very busy. And who does he ultimately hire? That lawyer Stanton that called him an ape. Uh, now Lincoln's the president, and he, and that guy is on his cabinet. Uh, and Stanton, as he starts working with Lincoln, begins to realize this guy is brilliant. This guy is in a class all by himself. And when Lincoln ultimately is shot, Stanton is the one who steps in at the first and takes over the government to keep it running. And it says that when he died, Stanton wept like a baby, just just wept uncontrollably, and is the one who famously said, now he belongs to the ages. And so here's a guy that called him an ape, basically to his face at one point, uh, but as he gets to know him and work under him, uh, comes to realize this is a great man. And so... Uh, I don't know how many of us could have, uh, you know taken that sort of uh, humiliation no, and persevered. No. Like Who that? would hire a guy like that? You know, you, yeah. which, but, he, but it tells you something about him and that uh, he really, he wanted what was best for the country. And his, yeah. his attitude was, I'm going to get the best uh, people available, even if they don't like me, if they don't respect me, if they'll do a, if they'll do a good job. I, you can't have someone who's just being disloyal to you, but um, but putting all your personal pride aside to say who'd be the best person to lead the country here. And if it's someone that has insulted me and opposed me in the past, uh, so be it. That's who I'll get. Well, because th- when you think of the presidency, at least nowadays, you think you, you kind of have to be a giant narcissist in a lot of ways yeah. to, want, to even want that position to begin yeah. with and you know, not to mention to excel in it. But from all accounts, it seems that Lincoln is is the exact opposite of that. Yeah, and he's he's humble enough to realize that his position is actually not about him, but about the country. Yeah, that, that seems quite the antithesis it, of yeah of what we see today in and, modern and, time. And I think in part it's because he truly has suffered. You know, I mean, you can't you can't really afford to be the president very much anymore unless you've got a lot of money backing you up and. Uh, uh, and you've, you, you know, you've got a lot of wealthy friends and, and Lincoln didn't really have a lot of that starting out, but, uh, but he had suffered. And, and the other, the other thing that I think is just important to notice about him before we, we break is just that he, he'd suffered in his personal life, uh, in, in his deprivation. But, uh, even when he's the president, his beloved son, Will, that was probably his favorite child, uh, dies. And he's held laid in state in the East Room where I've been. Um, and it was devastating. And his wife, uh, Lincoln's wife, 
it basically is battles depression all through the presidency and she's lost her child and uh, she is dressing in black and, and uh, mourning. And, and so here's Lincoln with a depressed wife. He's lost his, a child of his own. And of course, there's, yeah, his son died of disease, but there are thousands and thousands of people in the country who are losing sons as well on battlefields. Yeah. Uh, and so he can't, he doesn't lose his son on a battlefield, but he, uh, but he does lose his son. He, he, he knows what it's like to conduct a funeral for uh, a child and to have a grieving wife. Mm. And so he, uh, and I think uh, most people feel like Lincoln, he struggles uh, with depression himself. He's very melancholy and uh, he, he knows that. And kind of like Churchill and Spurgeon and others, uh, they were great leaders, but they battled this this sort of internal battle, their whole presidency as well, and their leadership time, uh, this black cloud that would hang over them. Of course, if you're if you got that kind of personality to start with, and then you're watching the the casualty counts coming in of how many soldiers are dying in some of these battles that you're the president of, uh, and knowing that half the country hates your guts uh, and would love to see you die. Um, you can imagine just the, the toll that that's going to take on him. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think you have to be careful how you handle that because you can let it weigh you down and, and bring you down. But I think on the other hand, he, because he suffers along with the country and he has his own pain that he has to deal with and overcome, uh, that helps him become a symbol for a nation that's hurting and has suffered loss and uh, is grieving. Uh, and I think a nation begins to identify with him because he he knows a lot of what they're going through as well. Hmm. Let's take a quick break here. This fall, we've got two opportunities to attend the Spiritual Leadership Coaching Workshop that Blackaby Ministries offers uh, each year. Normally, we just have one in the fall uh, in Jonesboro, but this year we have, in addition to the one uh, in Jonesboro, we have one in Rapid City, South Dakota. And these are for folks who work with people. Uh, you might be thinking, well, I'm not interested in coaching. That's not really something uh, I'm into. But I would say that anyone who deals with people uh, can learn something from these uh, coaching workshops. It's really learning about how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda. These coaching workshops will be uh, October 23rd and 25th. That's going to be the one in Jonesboro, Georgia. And then October 12th and 14th will be the one in Rapid City, South Dakota. All the information about both of these can be found at blackabycoaching.org slash workshop. Uh, there is um, a discount for early registration, and that goes through... Uh, the month of August. And so if you would like to attend one of these, uh, best to sign up sooner rather than later. Well, like you said at the beginning, Richard, uh, Lincoln is, is is sort of vying for the top seat of greatest American president. Yeah. Um, it's usually between him and, and Washington. But uh, uh, as we've already seen, like he sort of is the example of what you would want in, in a leader, especially uh, leader of a country. Um, what are some maybe final thoughts on, on Lincoln as we wrap up? 
Yeah, well, we, we talk about a person that uh, becomes a symbol for his people, that people can identify with. Uh, you know, I, Lincoln, one of the things he's famous for is being a storyteller, and he was homespun. He, uh, his humor was very much what a working person could identify with and uh, was funny, uh, could get people laughing. And, and I, you know, it's always been interesting to me, uh, isn't it kind of, uh, ironic in a sense that uh, some of the best comedians out there have been people that battled with depression. Well, yeah. or just, yeah, that and, and just had hard lives. Yeah. And that they were so funny. You know, yeah, you think that they must have just coasted through life uh, on a cloud because they were just able to joke about everything. But but a lot of their humor comes out of their pain. Of, mm-hmm. uh, it, the, a lot of their down to earth humor comes out because they've had their feet on the ground. Uh, they've had to because of just the way life has dealt with them. And so uh, he's a storyteller. And, and, and we've said this many times, but lead, leaders have to be good storytellers because stories speak to the heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, can, you can give a PowerPoint presentation and speak to people's minds, uh, but, but stories speak to the heart and the mind. And, and so Lincoln has a way of just telling the right kind of story. He was a great uh, he, he's great at delivering speeches, but he and someone said uh, one time, I think it was when he gave the Gettysburg Address, that afterward uh, a great, great speaker at that time had analyzed what Lincoln had done and said, well, Lincoln's speeches speak to the heart because they come from the heart. Uh, he he spoke from the heart, and so people received it, and it went to their hearts as well, and, yeah. and his stories did that a lot. Um, and something else about Lincoln, too, is that he, I think he's aware, and you know, sometimes you wonder, people like him or JFK or, or Martin Luther King Jr., you almost wonder sometimes if they didn't have a certain foreboding that time was short, uh, that they better make their mark soon because they didn't have a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't know if, uh, how much uh, Lincoln wondered about that, but... But I think he was very much aware that uh, leaders only have a limited amount of time on the stage normally. And certainly as a president, you're probably going to have one or two terms of, you know, of ultimate power to make a difference, and then you'll be done. And so I think he, things that even George Washington feared to address, like slavery, uh, Lincoln felt this is my one chance here. And uh, people can rightly so can fault some of the early presidents like Jefferson and, and others, even even Adams, uh, for not wading in and tackling the nation's biggest problem. And then uh, a guy like Lincoln comes along and does. And of course it costs him. It, he, he gets killed for it. And that's one of the reasons I think that the earlier guys didn't tackle that problem. Um, and of course what's interesting is that Lincoln often, regularly, is rated the top president uh, in American history. But the guy right before Lincoln is James Buchanan, and he's often rated the worst president in American history. And, and a lot of that's because all the, obviously all the same problems are there under Buchanan, uh, but he doesn't, he doesn't address them. He, he, he plays politician. Uh, I, just, I, want, I don't want to muddy my hands. I don't want people to be upset with me. I want to leave uh, high in the, the popular ratings. So I'll just not meddle with anything that might upset people. And so, in fact, he actually leaves a lot of weapons and ammunition in southern military depots 
that will be used in the Civil War against uh, Lincoln's forces. Uh, he, he does some things to kind of help the South and just make the war even more deadly instead yeah. of trying to address the problems. And so I think that's one of the things about Lincoln is that when he has his moment to lead, he uses it. And, uh, and you know, I think we all need to realize whether we're called as a pastor of a church, whether we are given a managerial role in our company, whether we're a parent, and we've got kids living at home with us for several years, that that season will pass. And even your little four and one-year-olds yeah. will one day be moving out, and you, you'll still be able to father them and parent them, but not in the same way as when yeah. they're under your roof and you've got this direct influence. And so, you know, I think some of the great leaders realize I have only so much time. Uh, I, I need to... Uh, use it for the maximum effect while I can, because I, I won't have this opportunity perhaps later, and so I better get it right now. And so he does that. And and just kind of attached to that is just the fact that he has a, a good sense of timing. He, he knows uh, that you can do the right thing at the wrong time. And so, for instance, uh, a lot of people have said, well, why, uh, you know, why, when the Civil War starts, why doesn't Lincoln just free all the slaves? Why, why doesn't he just pass a, you know, a resolution right then? Uh, and there were reasons why he didn't at the beginning. Uh, in part, because he knew if he just said, okay, when this war is over, all slaves are free, he knew full well that that would just uh, invigorate the South not to give up. They wouldn't, they wouldn't, they would have no vested interest in suing for peace because then they'd all lose their slaves. So, so he's at first he's trying to make it as palatable as possible. He just wants this war to end. He wants the killing to stop. So at first he he doesn't do that. And and even there's people in the north who feel like, um, you know, we just want this war to end. We're if we need to work this out about how we ever end slavery in the south, but. Um, but then Lincoln, uh, is looking for the right moment, uh, to, to pronounce that all slaves are free. And, uh, and he, and he feels like he needs to do it after a victory. Um, it, w- it wouldn't look, the optics wouldn't look right if the South, if General Lee had just pummeled the Northern army and then Lincoln in response said, okay, well, when, whenever we finally win this thing, we're going to free all the slaves. Well, that, that wouldn't have had nearly the same punch. Right. And so he, even when he knows he wants to free the slaves, he waits until the North wins a victory. And he has to wait a while for that uh, because they've been getting beat up a lot uh, by Lee's forces. But finally in the Battle of Antietam, and it's kind of a, uh, it's a mixed bag victory because it's the single greatest day of of uh, American losses, uh, perhaps in history. I'd have to double check that. Certainly at the time, and certainly during the Civil War, the single uh, day of the Civil War where the most casualties were suffered was at Antietam. It was just a bloodbath. Mm. The two two sides just were mowing each other down on open battlefields, and thousands and thousands of young men died that day. And so both sides suffered grievously, but a lot of times the way you determine who won the battle is which side remained at the battlefield, which side was forced to withdraw. And on that day, the Southern Army backs up. And they, they of course, can't suffer the same rate of casualties that the North does. They don't have as many men. And so they withdraw. 
And so it's, it's, it's checked off as a northern victory, which was the first one in a while. And so right after that victory is when uh, Lincoln will uh, pronounce that all slaves now under the, in the United States are free. Of course, that's not going to apply to the South because he doesn't have jurisdiction at that time. But, but he uses a victory to pronounce that. And of course, the other, perhaps his most famous speech he ever gives is right after Gettysburg. And he goes back to that battlefield and gives the Gettysburg Address. And it's another, it's a turning point victory for the North. And that's when, again, he uses his words powerfully. And so he, he is a great uh, speech giver. Uh, he's a great, he's an orator, uh, but he also has a great sense of timing. And he knows when when to speak, when to lead. Uh, and, and, that, and I think that's why he becomes... Uh, so uh, such such a symbol afterward, uh, and of course he he puts his life on the line and he dies for his cause, and uh, that memorializes him after that. Uh, that yeah. now he's immortal, and as uh, Stanton, his uh, earlier critic, says, now he belongs to the ages uh, because of sometimes how you die can make a huge difference in how his history evaluates you and. Uh, and so he becomes a symbol. And, you, and I think for an American, when you see a picture of Abraham Lincoln, uh, it's usually a melancholy, uh, sober kind of look. He's, he's uh, leading during the greatest crisis the nation's ever faced. Uh, he can be funny. He can tell funny stories. But I think as a symbol, he represents the, the horrific price that America had to pay to finally purge itself of its worst problem. And, uh, and he, in a sense, not, I wouldn't say he's like a Christ-like figure, but he, he gives his own life for the cause. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and that shows you, he doesn't become rich as the president. Uh, uh, one last thing I might just say, and I, if you, if you're a follower of my Facebook or Twitter pages, uh, when you, when you go to the, uh, Peterson house where the, uh, where Lincoln dies, there's about a three-story uh, building there, and in the middle there's a stairwell, a, a winding stairwell that goes up, and on the floor at the bottom is a stack of books about Lincoln, and that stack of books goes up all three stories, and it's just it's really something that's oh, uh, I'd never seen that before, but uh, uh, but it's just stacks of books three stories high, and they're all about the life of Lincoln, and I. I thought to myself, what is it about his life that is so fascinating to people that, uh, that this many books have been written about him? Mm. Uh, and because you just, there are just some people you can't really get enough of. Uh, you can look at him from different angles and you, there's still more to, to see and to take from. And, and he's someone who did that. But I think as a leader, he uh, became a symbol for America and for the suffering for the price it was going to be paid, uh, and for the hope and for the forgiveness. Uh, he never spoke, um, he never spoke uh, maliciously about the South. Uh, he was not vindictive. He did not make Lee and those people, uh, be hung after the, the fact. Uh, he wanted to be someone that brought peace and unity and people together again. And uh, to do that, you've got to have more than words. You've got to have lived that. You've got to have 
suffered. Uh, you've got to have forgiven yourself to people that have harmed you, and you've got to have risen to a higher level. And uh, in many ways, I think Lincoln did that. And I think because of that, he's become one of the most revered symbols in American history. Well, great. We'll leave it there. And until next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackme.org.